Hello, romantics. Welcome to It Pod to Be You, the Talk Film Society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mathur, and I'm talking about a very, very special movie for me, one of my favorite films from the last decade or so, um, Phantom Thread, which is directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. I have with me here a very exciting guest, Brendan Cassidy. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, really glad to have you on for Phantom Thread. Um, So I have to say, when I was conceiving of this episode, because I've been wanting to do this episode for quite a while, Mm -hmm. and I was was thinking about um, saving it for the New Year's kind of season, just because this movie has an incredible New Year's Eve sequence. I was just going to say, yeah. (laughs) Um, And I was going through um, my friends on Letterboxd, and just to see, like, who liked this movie... Um, and I came across your review, and it, you called it a, a romantic comedy, I believe, if I remember yeah. correctly. And I was like, okay, this is the guy, because like <laughs> um, my my interpretation of this movie is that it's a very uh, like almost absurdist romantic comedy, even if it's like dressed as a kind of like prestige period movie, and mm-hmm. um, and like every time I watch this movie, it gets like funnier and weirder, and the characters are like so bizarre. Um, And I just love it. I mean, I love it so much. And so when I saw that review from you, I was like, okay, Brendan's guy I got to go with. Um, So I'm really glad you could come. There are a lot of people that uh, seem to think of this as some sort of absurdist romantic comedy. I feel like that's sort of catching on, which is really interesting with this one. So when I first saw this movie, I actually saw it New Year's Eve uh, 2017. I remember exactly like where I was sitting and... Mm -hmm. Um, it's one of those like movie going experiences that I feel like I'll probably never forget, just because um, the audience was just so baffled <laughs> by it, and um, and uh, because like this movie, I don't know if you remember, but the build up to it was like it was just like mystery movie that like no one had really seen until like December, and you know slowly critics were seeing it and. Like, no one really knew when it was coming out, you know, for, like, general audiences. So there was a sort of air of mystery. We just knew that it was, like, Paul Thomas Anderson. I think David Lewis had already announced that he was going to retire after it, and he wanted to become right. a dressmaker. So there's just a lot of, like, weird hype for it. And um, mm-hmm. I actually did not really care for this movie the first time I saw it. Um, because I, I mean, we'll kind of get into the sort of the character dynamics, but I felt very frustrated by it. And I was like, okay, it's a good movie. You know, Paul Thomas Anderson, obviously he's a great director. Like, I'm pretty sure I gave it like a positive review, but being like, that's a movie I'll watch and probably never watch again. But then like throughout the winter, it just got more and more hype. And a lot of people that I really respected was giving it like positive reviews. It was picking up these like awards award mm-hmm. nominations here and there and then um it got nominated for all these oscars and so on oscar on the day of the oscars i <laughs> went to go see it again because i'm like clearly i'm missing something like i'm not the type to be a contrarian and like not like something that's popular so um 
Because I'm like, this is a movie that's getting like acclaim from a lot of really uh, important people. So I'm like, clearly mm-hmm. there's something there that's clicking, and like, I want it to click for me too. And I had a ball with it the second time around, and I've seen it two or three times since then, and it's grown for me into being this like totally opposite movie that I thought it was the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what's your history with this movie? Like, how did you? react to it the first time you saw it and how has it grown for you over the years i think what's grown for me over the years is that like you said the film seems to get funnier the more i see it i would not call this paul thomas anderson's most straight up comedy maybe that maybe that would go to something like inherent vice or even punk drunk love but i do think that phantom thread may be his most consistently amusing and maybe even consistently funny movie and there are some really biting moments in the way that these two characters uh alma and reynolds play off one another and you're right the way that the film was marketed and built up there was a lot of this intrigue around it people didn't know what to make of it as far as general audiences are concerned and that's you know, that's pretty common for a Paul Thomas Anderson film in general, and a lot of people tend to respond to it in ways that they don't really know yet. But at the time when I first saw it, I I did love it. It made my top 10 of 2017 when it came out, and I, I forget where I had it placed, but yeah, on my Letterbox review, I called it either the year's best romantic comedy or perhaps the year's best ghost story. Yeah, fun. yeah. Because there is still a bit of a haunting quality to the film that is kind of ghostly or otherworldly. We may talk a little bit about that as well if we dive into some of the themes here. Yeah. But there is, there's always just something really intriguing about this one. And like all of PTA's work, there's something very opaque about it he's very uh very subtle with what his what his films are actually about and this may be one of his most subtle uh and, and i think that's what makes it most rewatchable for me too i have the same reaction with the master and there will be blood and magnolia where i watch it and i'm like oh whatever i don't really think this is that good mm. and then everyone's like hey these movies are like masterpieces and i'm like okay i gotta like check it out again and then i'm blown <laughs> away so i'm like maybe i should just learn not to trust myself <laughs> When it comes to PTA. Um, mm-hmm. So actually, I do want to talk a, a little bit about him uh, first. Like, what's your take on him? Are you a big fan? Is he someone that you... Because I feel like you are a fan of his, but just, you know, in mm-hmm. your own words. Yeah, uh, I am definitely a fan of his. Uh, he was certainly one of those uh, filmmakers for me that sort of got me into just the idea of our tours and yeah. those making movies behind the camera. There'll Be Blood was one of those turning point movies for me when I first saw that one. And it's interesting because when I first got into PTA, uh, the first films I saw were not just There'll Be Blood, but then I went back and watched Boogie Nights and Magnolia. And for a while, Magnolia was my favorite film of his. But as I've gotten older, I start to look at his trajectory as a filmmaker and I noticed some pretty interesting things. He's certainly a director that wears his influences very heavily on his sleeve, and maybe even to the detriment of some other film critics, because you watch Magnolia, and you watch Boogie Nights, and you can really feel the Robert Altman influence. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah. he is so influenced by Robert Altman to the point that maybe it could even be detrimental to some people because it's so heavily on the nose. But you watch There'll Be Blood onward, especially movies like The Master and even Phantom Thread. This is where I feel like he was starting to develop his own voice and do something very unique. And I've come to appreciate those films even more as I've gotten older. Um, I think The Master and There'll Be Blood are still my two favorites of his. Uh, the Master was actually uh, my favorite film of the past decade when we did that episode on In Session Film. Yeah. Um, 
but I, I find myself second guessing those things every time I watch one of his films because the best thing I can say about any movie is it feels like a different movie every time I watch it. And I get that with most of PTA's work. Movies like The Master, Phantom Thread, and even Elements of Inherent Vice, I get that very much. So I'm a big fan of The Master. Um, I would, it's like between that and There Will Be Blood, I, I'm not sure which one's my favorite, but it's like every time mm-hmm. I watch a PTA movie, I'm like, okay, this is the best one. So yeah. like, it's he's almost impossible to rank just because like all of his movies, I mean, I'm not the biggest Inherent Vice fan, so, but I think that might be- A lot be, of people aren't. Yeah, but that might be, because I just found the movie to be almost too opaque and too, it was really hard for me to get into it, as much as I liked elements of it and the performances. However, having said that, now that I'm more aware of the fact that like it takes me one or two times to go through a PTA movie, maybe I should watch it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with you know with his work, there's just so like he's such a in, in a weird way he's a very like chameleon filmmaker. Even though his mm. like um, even though like when you watch a movie of his, you know it's him. But it's like he steps into these different genres and just like plays with them you know this this one as a I, I think like a gothic romance and there we blood is like the western and boogie nights is that like altman type thing and inherent vice is like the like the neo-noir like i think yeah. he's playing with all these different genres and he's so i think the reason why it's hard to like pin down like the masterpiece of his career is just that all of his movies are just so um, so like intricately designed and so thought like thoughtfully put together, mm-hmm. and you know when it comes to Phantom Thread, I mean it's such a like layered film, and it's so um, it's so like ornate and so like beautiful to look at. I feel like his movies just aren't as like romantically designed the way Phantom Thread is, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's because it's like the high fashion. You know the beautiful mansions, the you know the English setting. I mean, I think this is. I want to say this first movie that doesn't take place in the U.S. or at I least primarily. So. Yeah. Like it's there's just something more that's just like elegant, maybe a little like feminine about this movie. You know, um, I mean, he's had a very. Uh, I mean, he's had some very fascinating female characters, but I think Alma in Phantom Thread. I think she takes the lead in this movie the way that. <laughs> In, in a way that, like, he hasn't had... I mean, I guess even a- Amy Adams comes closest, you know, with sure. The Master. But, um, yeah, so let's just get into sort of the the romantic comedy part of Phantom Thread. Like, for you, how does this... How do you see this movie as a romance or as a romantic comedy? Uh, before I get to that, I do yeah. want to agree with you as far as uh, your thoughts on the film's aesthetics and just the delicacy of it. Because you look at a lot of his other films, PTA specifically, there is an urgency to a lot of his films. They yeah. move almost like they could be thrillers at times. There's yeah, a, a yeah. real edge that they give. And Phantom Thread doesn't really have that. There's a delicacy to this one, as if he's filming this movie 
like he's Reynolds Woodcock making a very delicate dress. And I do love that delicacy to it. I also love the yeah. meta thing that from a humorous standpoint, apparently Daniel Day-Lewis actually came up with the name Reynolds Woodcock. <laughs> <laughs> Which just goes to show how much he stays in character for all of these things. I think I heard that on uh, an episode of Jimmy Kimmel when Paul Thomas Anderson was his guest. Um, <laughs> but that, again, kind of goes into the comedy and how absurdist that it is that you were talking about. Why the film is so funny for me is just the way that Alma and Reynolds banter with one another. It, it, there's this like th there's this tension between the two of them as if uh, Reynolds has found a new muse and there's a lot to be said about his obsessiveness, his uh, neuroticism, his narcissism as well. You can argue that there is definitely a sense of abuse going on as if he's just trying to find new muses every now and then and, yeah, yeah. and, and basically use them for his own fetishistic desires of dressmaking if you want to look at it that way and in comes alma who actually has a sense of agency she has a sense of dominance and uh tries to push back against him in ways that he perhaps has never really experienced before and that leads to some really great exchanges between the two of them such as like the interruption stays here even though she's taken the tea out you know like, like yeah, little things yeah. like that and it is really funny just to hear them banter back and forth and i i think that was pta's intent i think I, I at least heard him say that because it's almost creating this absurdist view on marriage in some ways i i think that's one of the things that the film might be getting at it certainly has a lot on its mind but the way it seems to deconstruct marriage is something that i think is very biting about it Right. Um, that brings me to the, the, the sort of like my Rudolph of it all. Um, mm -hmm. So listeners who don't know, Paul Thomas Anderson is married to my Rudolph, which is like one of those celebrity marriages that are just like, how do they even meet? Like, what, <laughs> yeah. because the thing is that like he, he has such a reputation of being like sort of like on that like David Fincher level. Right. And just like being sure. like you know, meticulous and serious and, you know, very, like, masculine, whatever. And uh, although I don't, I mean, I don't really know what he's like in real life. I mean, he doesn't come across that way, but I think he just has that reputation because he makes these, like, you know, very, like, prestige, two-and-a-half-hour-long, three-hour-long movies. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, Paul Thomas Anderson said in, in an interview that the inspiration for the movie came from when he was feeling, like, really sick and Maya Rudolph was, like, nurturing him. And he was, like... I think he said something along the lines of, like, it must be thrilling for her for me to be so, like, reliant on her. And... Yeah. I think people took that at like face value as if there's like trouble in the marriage, but I think he kind of mentioned in like a cute way of just like, um, you know, there's just like, there's, there's always going to be this like push and pull in relationships in terms of like power struggles. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I think what, I think I love what you say about Alma having agency because she struggles against Reynolds in a way that is so, um, different. I mean, you see Reynolds like, one of his like previous muses that uh, Joanna in the beginning and she just looks like oh, a total yeah. like little mouse. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like this poor girl. Soul. I kinda yeah. wanna see a movie from her perspective. Yeah, I, I would love to have to seen her. the uh, see a prequel, you know, Reynolds yeah. Origins. Um but um I think that like Alma just has this like I think immediately she she's able to get a sense of who she's dealing with when even in their first meeting at the restaurant when he you know, lists all of these, you know, um, 
you know, all the menu items he wants to eat and she calls him the hungry boy. And mm-hmm. there's just this element of like, um, she kind of, she kind of senses that she can control him through this, like not control him, but like take, take a more dominant role through this like nurturing thing. And mm-hmm. as she's trying to, as she's in the house and trying to carve out some kind of agency, it's always through these like acts of service, like the tea or the dinner that she plans for him and um, and finally, she's able to do that, you know, with the mushrooms. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think there's like this movie is so interesting in that power dynamic. You know, I've read so many essays and reviews of this movie about, you know, is it misogynist? Is it sexist? Is it feminist? Is it, you know, like, like, what is this really saying about, you know, gender and and that stuff and that and all that? And I think it's mm-hmm. it's so much more. Uh, I think it's a little more like deeper than that because it's not really about you yeah. know is this a feminist movie or a misogynist movie? It's just about the like push and pull of gender dynamics in a marriage. Yeah, absolutely. It's coming at it from both perspectives. It's yeah. not one perspective dominating the other, and there is some sense of equal control by the end of it, and that's what yeah. I think is most fascinating about it, and also most, I guess. Uh, uh, sinister about it as well, which I find really <laughs> interesting. Uh, but it's interesting to also see how these two people, Reynolds and Alma, without really admitting it, they also kind of need each other. That initial meet cute that they have, uh, that you mentioned there, where Reynolds orders basically everything on the menu and wants to see if she can remember it. Yeah. At the same time, Alma is responding to the fact that this man does perhaps genuinely see her as a beautiful woman and it's revealed a little bit throughout the movie that she does have some insecurity issues regarding her appearance so uh, the fact that he's able to look at her in a very physical way and she responds to that the whole movie seems to be uh uh demonstrating this idea of codependency in a relationship Mm. despite their respective issues that they have but them being together kind of fuels that even further, and that's something that's even more fascinating. So you're certainly right that whether to call the film feminist or misogynist or masculine or anything like that, that's really just looking at it from one perspective. And I think you're also ignoring the other perspective and how important that it is between both of them. Yeah, yeah. So I do want to talk a lot about food in this movie, Um, you know, because there's this there's sort of this intimacy, you know, when you cook for someone and there's this intimacy when you accept food from someone. And I think there's like, this movie really explores that trust that, you know, because Mm -hmm. essentially anyone could put anything in a meal and poison you, right? Like it's, (laughs) it's as easy as that, you know? And so there's level of like trust. And like, I feel like we, we take that for granted in relationships in any sure. relationship because like obviously like why would anyone poison me right it's so ridiculous to think about but mm-hmm. in this movie it's like um you know when she tr- I, I love this scene when she makes the asparagus with butter and he like mm-hmm. goes on this like rant about it and it turns into this whole thing of like are you trying to kill me are you an agent sent to um you know, sent to ruin my life. And where's your ruin gun? My, where's your yeah, gun? Where's, where's your, your gun? Especially acting like the biggest child, and I do yeah. have more thoughts on that too. <laughs> um, and um, and in some ways, like she takes that to heart, and that's how she she kind of like forms this little like fun, like funny little plan of every time he kind of acts up, she'll poison him, and and he'll know that he like went too far with her because then he'll have his you know 
food poisoning, whatever. And it's such as this like it's this like weird little like give and take between them. And it comes from like I mean, food is such is something that it's like uh, I love when food is used as like a like a metaphor or motif in movies, just because like mm-hmm. it's so like. It can be romantic, it can be intimate, and it can be just nurturing in, in a way that is, you know, like like when she is, you know, making the omelet in the at the end of the film, like the camera is just so loving towards how she yeah. prepares it, even though it's full of poison and the yeah. the after effects. And he of, seems very much aware of that too. Yeah, it's almost like it's like he's like almost like it's like fetish fetish for him of like yeah. accepting these like poisoned you know omelet, um, and in a way that it's like. Uh, I don't know, it feels like really romantic. I'm like, they kind of have this marriage that works. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> Even it with all the toxicity. It a bit of something yeah. like David Fincher's Gone Girl, the yeah, way it actually presents yeah. marriage in a very twisted and demented way, but right. that's how they make it work because of it. I love your description there on food. In fact, maybe this is even more of a food movie than I even initially thought. Uh, but you're right that this idea that someone prepares something for you and goes out of their way to do so, puts all that work and effort into it, there's something very intimate and genuine about that. And it also, it goes back to Paul Thomas Anderson's own analogy and how he came up with the movie, him being sick and Maya Rudolph taking care of him because people who take care of you when you're at your most vulnerable, it treats the care in a way that they respond to as well. There's an interesting push and pull going on, and the way that they respond to that is uh, it, it's it's simultaneously loving just as much as it is an excuse to give them temporary control, and they relish in that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, like, so I, I don't even remember this story, but I remember Jennifer Lawrence saying... Um, she tried to watch this movie and she got like five minutes into it and had to turn it off because like Reynolds Woodcock reminded her too much of a director that was like abusive on set. I'm pretty sure she was talking about David O. Russell. Perhaps, and yeah. um, I remember there was a lot of uproar about that because people were like, oh, if you just like watch the movie, then, um, you know, you would see that there's like, there's a lot more. It's not just, you know, the cliche of, like, the kind of asshole guy that abuses everyone around him. I mean, mm-hmm. but it's funny, like, that that's how I interpreted this movie when I first saw it, and I was so frustrated by it, because I'm like, why isn't Alma, like, I really wanted some kind of, like, monologue from her, like, putting him in his place, and, you know, that, like, triumphant kind of, like, girl power moment, and, you know, for her mm-hmm. to leave. You know, you want that to happen, and um, I what I love about this movie is that like Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't really give that. In fact, she's right. almost, um, Alma is almost as incapable of like good communication, genuine communication as Reynolds is in mm-hmm. that, you know, for example, the, that dinner scene, cause she's like not saying what you like want her to say, but, in, mm-hmm. but, but she does put him in his place in a way because not only is it like, not only is it because of like the, the poison mushroom and stuff, but it's also just, the fact that she constantly is pushing him, you know, pushing him to go to the New Year's dance, pushing him to, in some yeah. ways, pushing him to, like, get married to her. And, like, essentially, she's, like, standing her ground in this house when she could easily just leave at any moment. And, like, the other girls did. Like, you know, Cyril, who's played by Leslie Manville, is expecting her to. But instead, mm-hmm. she's like, no, I'm going to stay here and you're going to live with me. And I'm going to, like, really, like work up like i'm gonna really just like mess up your routine and your neuroses and you know make you pay attention to me and that yeah. to me is so it's so much more interesting than if she had some like 
you know, monologue about, you know, being mistreated or whatever. Yeah, that would have made the movie way too easy, honestly. Yeah, yeah, and maybe, exactly. maybe, maybe not too easy, but it would have made it into a different movie. Right, uh, yeah. and, and maybe it would have been a pretty interesting movie, but it would have had a very different and obvious message because then it would have taken a side. But Paul yeah, Thomas exactly. Anderson is not interested in that. He yeah. certainly likes to be a bit more opaque, as we've talked about. And he makes a movie from both gender perspectives here. And even going further, he doesn't, make Reynolds Woodcock a 100% villain here either. There are some elements to him that I actually find genuinely heartbreaking. And I think what's most interesting, and going back to that uh, argument that he and Alma have where he's very childishly asking, where's your gun? Where's your gun? Because he is at times very much a child. And that makes sense given the fact that his mother was taken from him at a young age and he is obviously still not over that. It's in some ways why his sister, Cyril, played so well by Leslie Manville, is still in the picture, trying to hold on to some sense of the familial that he still has. And that's why I also called this a bit of a ghost story, because there is a very ghostly element involving his mother that always seems to be present in some way. And that's partially why I think the relationship between Reynolds and Alma is not just so interesting, but why he still holds on to it. Because when she takes control, there's almost like this motherly dynamic to it as well. And, and, and like him accepting those poison mushrooms is almost like his way accepting punishment like a child would. And, and, and it's so interesting that there are little elements like that too, and you can choose to focus on that as the primary theme, and it still makes for a very interesting movie. But I do love, in the end, that, that PTA is... He, he's not villainous toward Run Reynolds in the most obvious ways. There are some layers there that I really appreciated. For all of his sort of, like, tyrannical nonsense, like he's so tender, and he's, mm -hmm. you know, um, he just has this, like... Uh, like what I call like bottom energy of just like he just is in some ways he's so submissive and so mm -hmm. um, he's so just yeah like childlike and, and childish both and he has this yeah. um, almost this like kind of innocence to him where he just needs to be taken care of and mm -hmm. he needs to have his little tantrum but then he'll accept the punishment and he'll yeah. move on and then everything will be and everything will be happy again and then he'll you know um, act out again and the cycle continues as I think you know Alma I prefer my asparagus with oil and salt and knowing this you have prepared the asparagus with butter now, I can imagine in certain circumstances being able to pretend that I like it made this way Right now, I'm just admiring my own gallantry for eating it the way you've prepared it. I don't know what I'm doing here. I, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm just waiting around like an idiot for you. This was an ambush, Alma. To what purpose? This is not... I know it's not going as I expected. I, I didn't mean these things to come out. I'm sorry, but it was meant to be nice. Well, what did you expect? I wanted time with you. I wanted to have you to myself. You have me all the time. No. What are you talking about? I don't. I, there, there are always people around. And if not, then there's something between us. Something between us? Yes. What? Some... What? Distance. When did this happen? 
What happened to make you behave like this? Is it because you think I don't need you? Yes. I don't. Well, that's very predictable of you. Don't act so tough. I know you are not. Yeah, that's right, that's right. If I don't protect myself, somebody will come in the middle of the night and take over my corner of the room and ask me about their fucking asparagus. Don't be a bully. You'll there are other bully. things I'd like to do with my time. It's my time. I have no my idea time. what I'm doing here in your time. What am I doing here? I'm standing around like an idiot, waiting for you. Waiting for what? Waiting for you. Waiting for what? Waiting for you to get rid of me. To tell me to leave. So tell me. So I don't stand around like a fucking fool. Asparagus, is this all about your asparagus? No, it's not then? about what asparagus. What the hell is it about? Are you a special agent sent here to ruin my evening and possibly my entire Why life? Why are you so rude to me? Why are you talking to me like this? Is this like my this? house? This is my house, yes, isn't this it? Is, is your this house. my house? Of course it's your house. Or did somebody drop me on what foreign soil behind enemy lines? You I'm surrounded me here. on all sides. It's you who brought me here. When the hell did this happen? Who are you? Do you have a gun? You here to kill me? Hmm? Do you have a gun? Stop it! Where's your gun? Stop being a child. Where's your gun? Stop playing. Show me your gun. Stop playing this game. I'm not I'm playing not. a game. Yes. Mm-hmm. What uh -huh. game am I playing? What game? What precisely is the nature of my game? You tell me. Oh, this whole. What? All your rules and your walls and your doors and your people and your money and all this. Clothes and everything. This, this, this game. Everything here. The whole. <coughs> Nothing is normal or natural or. Everything is a game. Yes, mister. No, madam. Yes. Uh, well, if it's. I my, don't eat if, this. If, I don't drink if, that. If I don't. It's my life that you're describing. It's entirely up to you whether you choose to share it or not. If you don't wish to share that life, as apparently it's so disagreeable to you in every respect, why don't you just fuck off to back where you came from? I also remember Paul Thomas Anderson uh, mentioning Rebecca, the Hitchcock film, when uh, promoting Phantom Thread. Mm. And uh, what's your familiarity with not only Hitchcock, but, you know, sort of the 1940s era of Hitchcock? Uh, so Rebecca, I haven't seen in quite some time, mm -hmm. uh, and and I remember really liking it at the time. And I do yeah. actually think that tonally speaking, there are some very distinct comparisons between that film and Phantom Thread, especially yeah. if you look at it as sort of this like gothic romance of sorts, as you called it early on, and yeah. this hint of mystery and thrills to Phantom Thread as well. I, I, I mentioned earlier that it doesn't move with the same immediacy as some of PTA's other works, so it doesn't feel as urgent or as much like a thriller or something like There'll Be Blood, for instance, which can almost fall into, into the category of horror movie. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but Phantom Thread still has this underbelly of Hitchcockian uh, uh, cruelty to it, uh, and, and you definitely can sense that in a movie like Rebecca and maybe even some of his other films from the 1950s. I actually see a little bit of vertigo in yeah, there, too, yeah. like the, the sense of mystery that it brings, the obsessiveness in one of the characters, the way that there is almost this sense of codependency between these two because of that obsessiveness, and there's an obsessiveness in Reynolds as well. You can almost say he is a bit OCD at times. I think right, that is right. very... In fact, you can probably 
probably accuse him of being diagnosed with that. And I think that would be pretty apt, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but those are definitely some Hitchcockian elements that I could certainly see. It's definitely a clear influence. And it also shows PTA kind of branching out a little bit. He's been so Altman-influenced. He's been so Kubrick-influenced. And he seems to be shedding some of those things. And that's what's most exciting about his late work. What I love about the um, Hitchcock influence is that it's sort of an atypical Hitchcockian element. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I think when people say Hitchcockian, they look at, you know, like North by Northwest or, yeah. you know, any of those kind of like, they, yeah, like that, like wrong man thriller, you know, spy, mm-hmm. whatever. But, you know, Hitchcock, for all of his suspense and thrillers, like he was an amazing filmmaker with romance, especially in this sort of like messy, semi toxic, like, uh, you're not really sure how to react to it or to find it like romantic or mm-hmm. you know scary or whatever. And um, you know, the comparison to Vertigo is so apt. I was also thinking about um, Notorious, which is yeah. not not in the sense of like it's a similar story, but just this idea of this like push and pull, this like attraction repulsion between these two characters who are you know passionately in love with each other, but also completely disgusted by each other and you have this element of just like you're like they don't even know how they are they don't even know how they feel about each other and uh rebecca as well you have the ghost of reynolds mother you know hanging over the movie and cyril is like the mrs danvers and the dynamic between reynolds and alma is very similar to the dynamic between maxim and his second wife and um and like I would, when I watched the Rebecca remake, I was like, they should have just watched Phantom Thread because like that, <laughs> like I was like, Phantom Thread is a much better Rebecca remake than the new one was. Um, I'm glad I didn't see that new one. Yeah, I mean, honestly, okay, it was good. Like it was fine, but it just didn't have that element of like that like gothic, you know, that like gothic romance to it. Like you want it to be a little. Like, a movie like Rebecca, like the original Rebecca, or Phantom Thread, or Notorious, or any of these sort of, like, Crimson Peak even, there's this element mm-hmm. of, like, erotic danger to it, where it's, like, mm-hmm. you, like, I mean, like, we love horror movies because we have that, like, cathartic thrill without any, like, real-life danger to it. But there's also this, like, element of, like, attraction to that thrill, and, like, like a romantic or sexual attraction to it. And I think Phantom mm-hmm. Thread really captures that push and pull between these characters where it's like, you know, because this movie is really much, very much about bodies, you know, not, you know, with like the fashion, the dresses and everything, but also of course with his food poisoning, like there's something so like visceral and corporal about this movie. And, you know, Hitchcock also loved food metaphors. You know, a lot of his movies were about, or a lot of, a lot of the times that he'd equate like eating food or making food for someone with sex. And I think that's right. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, Alma and Reynolds have a sex life, but they also like food is their sex, and yeah, um, and so I think like, but but Paul Thomas Anderson is, is also making it so absurd, like it's so funny, like that, like it's it's like I I, I kind of just want to run down all the lines that I think are like hysterically funny. Um, everything that Leslie Manville says is hilarious, you know. And that's and, why she got an Oscar nomination. Yeah, like she, <laughs> so many great lines. But, like, he just dials all this up, all this, like, Hitchcockian stuff up to 11 and just makes it so absurd. It's just like you, like, just have to laugh. Well, this is why I love Paul Thomas Anderson's own cinematography as well, because the way he shoots food has this 
sting of humor to it as well. The way that Reynolds dips his asparagus in butter when we know this is not how he likes it, but PTA takes his time shooting those things, and it just has this sting of humor to it. It's very biting. And then the way he salts it, he oversalts it. He salts it for what feels like a good 20 seconds. Uh, like Little things like that I think are really funny. I think that's what makes... From a filmmaking standpoint, that's what makes Phantom Thread probably PTA's most old-fashioned feeling movie. And that's what I really like about it, too, is that it's the one that feels the most like a legit period piece. And PTA has been making a lot of period pieces since There Will Be Blood. In fact, all of his movies since then have existed in a past decade. He's, he's very much a decade filmmaker, and he likes to focus less on the vibrancy and the aesthetics and the setting itself – but more about the people and the behaviors of those time periods. And he's certainly doing that here with Phantom Thread, but I feel like this is the one where the setting and the surroundings, from a physical sense, are more important than they've ever been in a PTA film because it's so much of an homage to that Hitchcockian uh, style of filmmaking with movies like Rebecca. Yeah, there's just so... There's just an element of like glamour to it an element of like sophistication um you bring up the cinematography i mean this movie looks like just stunning and um mm-hmm. i also love that this movie kind of takes place in this like forever kind of like wintry season it's like not quite yeah. i think i think christmas happens during the film but it's not quite a christmas movie i mean it's definitely a New Year's movie, um, yeah. but it's just—it always just feels very cold. Um, but instead of it being chilly, it only amplifies sort of the heat in the house, which is like the heat between the characters and yeah. uh, like that—that that tension that we've been talking about. I also wanted to bring up the score by Johnny Greenwood, um, which is like I think one of the most lush, just like beautiful scores, but. There's also this myster- like mysterious element to it. There's it's it puts you on edge. I was listening to it this morning, and mm-hmm. I'm like, as much as I want to like dance, like have like a romantic waltz to this music, it also feels a little dangerous and a little like unsettling. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, what's your take on the score? Well, I think Johnny Greenwood is one of the best composers working today, and this is coming from someone that's also a really big Radiohead fan. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I'm very biased in that regard too. <laughs> but I can I I think this score here specifically, uh, at least within PTA's filmography that Johnny Greenwood has also composed, I'd say his work here on Phantom Thread is the closest to reminding me of why I love Radiohead because it's just so it's so emotionally jarring. Uh, there are times that it does have that like jazzy waltzy tenderness to it that you're talking about but instantly it'll shift from major to minor key out of nowhere yeah, and then it just yeah. gives it this this uh, almost like this unwanted resolution it's very uh it, it's very frightening at times too it's very deceptive it's like this deceptive cadence that it's going for and then at times very much like radiohead as well it starts to get a little experimental there are times i feel like he's veering away from traditional acoustic instrumentation to get a little electronic, a little ambient at times. And and, and in those moments, it fits the tone and it fits the mood. It's not out of place, but it really comes out of nowhere too. And I just love how experimental that it is. I don't think that's something the score gets enough credit for is that it's actually a very experimental piece of music. Yeah, I mean, it has the the sound of being, you know, very 
typical like old like period movie type score but you're absolutely right it does take these like shifts that really puts you on edge and um, mm-hmm. I think it's like uh, I'm yeah I, I've become a big fan of, of Greenwood I'm admittedly not um, familiar with Radiohead as I'd like to be um, mm-hmm. but I've loved his previous work but I think this one just like it just takes this movie on a different level I mean I really I mean everything about this movie I just can't imagine like it being any other way like Mark Bridges costumes um, mm-hmm. which like it's such a cliche for like you know this kind of movie to like win an Oscar for best costume design but I was like in this movie the dresses are just so like um there's so much like character to the dresses and there's so much like yeah um it just like the fashion just means something to these people in a way that you know most period movies i feel like the costumes are almost just like uh, taken for granted yeah they're just there to help support the time period so they're yeah really just there you know superficially if you will but yeah you're right that the costume design here is more symbolic because it's more focused on how that art that was created was fueled by a man such as Reynolds Woodcock. And there's a connection there between why a dress looks like the way it is versus it just looking like it came from the time period. Um, And that that is really spoken to in the scene with Harriet Harris um, and her her marriage. And uh, I really want to read this line because I found this line to be hysterically funny. Um, And it's when... um, you know, Harriet Harris is like passed out drunk and Reynolds goes to demand she give him the dress back because he's mm-hmm. ruining his reputation. She's ruining his reputation by being um, drunk and kind of belligerent in, um, in, in, the, in one of his gowns. And Alma has this line where she's trying to like wrestle. I mean, it's a really funny scene. She's trying to like wrestle Harry Harris for this dress and trying to get it. basically I mean I don't ever like tried to like undress someone who's like passed out drunk and it's just this like really yeah. weird like thing and um, and Alma says this line which I think is so funny it's no business of ours what Mrs. Rose decides to do with her life but she can no longer behave like this and be dressed by the house of Woodcock I know <laughs> it's yeah. such a like it's I remember like watching that when I first, when I saw this movie for the second time and I was like really kind of getting into this um, getting into the tone of it I was like oh man she drank the Kool-Aid and she's like just as like fastidious and neurotic and self-obsessed as Reynolds is and yeah it's such a but I mean it just speaks to this pride that they take in their work and just how like even if he's such a tyrant in his business like there's a reason for it because like his clothes Mm -hmm. are you know art pieces yeah they really are and it's also a very crucial point in the relationship between Alma and Reynolds in that moment too it's very much a turning point because it's when Alma really starts to show some additional initiative that also benefits Reynolds and coincidentally actually not even coincidentally I think it's very deliberate on PTA's uh, choices here right after they get the dress back that's when we actually start to see the literal intimacy in their relationship they kiss literally in the next scene I believe that they actually have sex in the next scene too so That is very much a deliberate choice by PTA because he is showing how Reynolds is so so appreciative and responsive toward Alma's dominance there because it's something that he has in in himself too, and she was able to get the job done. Yeah, that's um, 
it's it's so fascinating because like they it's like they're always just like testing each other in a way and yeah that you know that for him was a test for her to see you know ex- to see her dominant side as you say and to see that like she can you know take charge and i think that speaks to his like tender like little boy you know that mm-hmm. inner child that he has because he's seeing someone who can you know like you know when a boy messes up you need his mommy to <laughs> make things right and there we go yeah, yeah. and <laughs> you know you see that influence from alma start to bleed onto leslie manville's character of cyril yeah. as well because mm-hmm. it sort of makes you think that cyril was just more along for the ride if you will but yeah, yeah. there's a point where cyril starts to push back even against reynolds and it makes you think is that because of alma's presence maybe inadvertently influencing cyril to be a bit more standoffish as well she even says that she likes alma very much and you kind of get the sense that cyril really doesn't like her uh just based on the way that she treats her but i don't think she's incorrect in admitting that either i think that deep down cyril does have uh an unspoken respect for Alma because of what she stands for and how she yeah. commands herself. Um, she's just not willing to admit it. But you start to see a little bit of that influence in Cyril as well. And I, 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 I just, I, I find that so subtle, but so interesting to see how that arc slowly starts to change a little bit. You know, it's so funny you mentioned that because when I was watching it this time for the podcast, I was. I felt like I had like really opened my eyes to Cyril because in my first previous viewings, I always thought of her as just like, you know, um, Reynolds' little sidekick. And, mm-hmm. you know, she is like, um, is resentful of Alma for kind of taking the space as, you know, like the female head of the house or whatever. But sure. I've actually, as I watch this movie more, coming more in, in I'm becoming more attached to your interpretation of her, which is that she actually respects Alma a lot, and especially for being able to stand up for stand up to Reynolds and you know carve her own space in this house, and mm-hmm. um, and like I think that she is less. I used to think that she was just so like enmeshed in Reynolds's business, and you know she's the you know the CEO or CFO or whatever. Sure. But actually, I'm like I'm. I really am liking your theory that she's just kind of along for the ride and not as not as like um, attached to him as I initially thought. Because I think she has this like, I mean, she is so sarcastic with him, and and she also mm-hmm. kind of keeps him in place at times, and especially towards the end. And it's 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 like her arc is so much more, I guess, like off screen or subtle. Um, it is, yeah. But in some ways, it's almost more powerful because she's just this like figure in the shadows who will, you know, strike at any moment, and you're just like, okay, yeah, she's like, and she's in some ways a very dominant force in this house. Yeah, and that's why I would have loved to see her win the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress that year. As much as I love, um, I believe that's when Allison Janney won yeah, for Itania, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. I do really like her in that movie. It's sure. a very, uh, it's a very energetic and you know and powerful performance, literally. Uh, but there's something about the subtleties in Leslie Manville's work here that I really appreciate, and it's something you develop as you rewatch the film. Because as I said earlier, I really think it was that sarcasm in Leslie Manville that got her the nomination. Just the yeah, way that she yeah. delivers. Lines 
lines is really what got her the nomination. But there is a lot more going on there than uh, than just what's on the surface like that. And she is so good in the movie. Of course, Daniel Day Lewis is great. I mean, Daniel Day Lewis is like Meryl Streep. He'll get nominated for anything he does at this point. Yeah. Um, and that's not not no discredit to either one of them because um, he is great here. My only, I guess, uh, uh, sadness with all of that is why Vicky Cripps didn't get nominated either. Because I, I think the movie doesn't work without her sense of dominance. And that was really unfortunate to see. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to talk about the Oscars. Um, okay. Especially, you know, this, this, so 2017, I'm a like big fan of like that year, especially with the prestige movies like Get Out, Lady Bird, Dunkirk. Um, Call Me By Your Name, Phantom Thread, of course, The Post. Like, I think it's a pretty good crop mm-hmm. of movies that year. Yeah. And um, Phantom Thread, like, again, it just kind of broke out and just, like, became this, like, zeitgeist during the, during the Oscars year. And I feel like Vicky Creeps, because she's so... Um, I guess she's... I mean, I'm sure she's done stuff in her native country, um, but mm-hmm. she's so new to American audiences. And I think that there was an element of, like... We, they didn't. I think they wanted to promote her for a lead actress, which of course she is. Um, yeah. Like she's the, she's the lead of the movie, of course. But like traditionally, she would be like supporting actress, just in terms of like Oscar marketing, or whatever. But then like, you have Leslie Manville, and she's a much bigger name. So I I think she kind of got caught in this like weird thing where like she, she like. Um, there's just so many like bigger names in the best actress field, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I totally agree with you. I think she should have been nominated, and I think she like the more I watch this again, like the more I watch this movie, the more these like things are really becoming illuminated for me of like how powerful her performance is. Yeah. You know, just the way that she just has these like really subtle looks and her di- dialogue delivery and her body language. You know, like the one of my favorite scenes is kind of early in the movie is when he's taking her size and. Um, like after their dinner, after their first date, and the yeah. way she's so awkward with her body, and you know, Cyril says, "Oh, he likes a little belly." She just kind of like jerks her head back, as if like, did yeah. someone just really say this to me as a stranger? <laughs> yeah, there is an insecurity in her, like yeah. you said. You you sense that in that scene, but you also sense her dominance pushing through that too. Yeah. There's yeah. one moment which I also think is very funny, and maybe as a straight white male, I shouldn't find this funny, but when uh. Reynolds says to her something like, um, you have no breasts. It's my job to give you some if I yeah. choose to. I mean, yeah. it is a very cruel line when you think about it. It's so cruel. The dynamics, but it, it, the way it's presented is very absurdist and it's very yeah. funny. And, and, and Vicky Creeps in that moment reacts both insecurely, but also kind of dominantly as well. She does have this urge to push back, and that's perhaps new for Reynolds. He probably hasn't experienced something like that in a woman before. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that line is really funny as well. I mean, the thing is that you can watch this movie and be like, oh, he's so mean or whatever, but mm. I think, like, as like the more people watch this movie and, like, knowing, like, kind of, like, what's coming for their relationship, I think these, like, cruel, toxic lines can become funnier because, like... Yeah, it recontextualizes know, like, a lot of Yeah, that. it recontextualizes everything. Thing. We know that, like, anything he steps out of line, he, she's going to poison him. So, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so it's more comforting to know that. Though. Yeah, it's more comforting to know that, like, she, like, 
she stands up for her and not just the poison part I mean that's just like the funny absurdist thing but like she stands up stands up for herself um, mm-hmm. and doesn't take a lot of his you know BS like um, when they're on their I guess their um, honeymoon and they're they're at some party and they're playing some game and he like is reacts like a child again she just like gets up and leaves yeah. and like doesn't take it and you know when um when she wants to go dancing for new year's he doesn't want to go she goes without him and yeah it's like she's doing these things to like remind him that you know she's actually the dominant one in their relationship you know yeah. he is you know his place is to be um like subservient not subservient to her but like in the more submissive role yeah and i and I think some of the funniest moments of the film are when Alma is aware of that, that she does have some control. I think the the line that made me laugh out loud the most on my rewalk in preparation for our discussion here was after she first poisons him and she begins taking care of him, he walks out of the bathroom saying, must have been something I've eaten. And she just responds with, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, she's just so aware of what actually happened. And yeah. I... I rarely say this to be, you know, just because I don't like being hyperbolic all the time. But that moment, I almost had to pause the movie just to <laughs> let it out of my system. It it really it's is so great. good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just so like, yeah, Vicky Creeps is just has like she just is so. I mean, just so good in this role because it's like she does these like little things that. Um, she just makes a meal out of these very like small like reactions and lines and like that. Mm-hmm, for sure, hilarious. Yeah, um, and I really like. I don't think she's been doing much since, but I mean, it's the kind of role where it's like no no other movie that she could do could live up to this role for her. I mean, I'm, that's a, I mean, who knows, right? But like, yeah, this is it's such a like it's such a like specific role for her. It's that, like it just like meant to be like that that character in that i can't imagine anyone else in that role yeah in fact i'm looking at her imdb page right now thinking this is the kind of role that you would think would you know kick off an actress's career and she's been in a few things since then apparently some of her upcoming projects she will be in the new um m night Shyamalan film old which has a stacked cast oh my god that's pretty exciting just in and of itself so hopefully there is more to see from her because uh, while while this film, Phantom Thread, is very much a Reynolds movie as it is an Alma movie, in some ways because she is sort of the onlooker, sort of the the narrator of sorts here. Yeah, she's kind of the beating heart of the movie. She's the one that I, I don't want to say comes out on top because there's still some type of duality going on even by the end. Right, but she's right. the one that seems to be most aware of it and calls attention to it by the end, and that's what's even more interesting too yeah we didn't talk about this um framing device what are your thoughts on it uh it's usually a framing device that i don't like in movies at least as much anymore because it just seems so tired um and it's so overdone nowadays but that doesn't mean it's always not gonna work yeah Uh, in in the case here i love what pta does in 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 using it to complement its themes on gender dynamics and dominance in a relationship and by giving her that sense of awareness in that voiceover narration and in those bookends i think that helps complement what we've been talking about all along here that there is this quest for dominance that happens in a lot of marriages honestly and in the case here she's openly admitting that to some 
what feels like some stranger that she's taking pride in it. It's, it's, this, yeah. it's, it's that sense of pride that she is showing in those moments that I find really interesting. And that's why the framing device works. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Definitely echo your thoughts. I'm not a fan of it either in general, um, mm. but it works really well here. Also, just the way it's filmed, you know, that like warm glow, of the fireplace. It's just oh. like, again, it kind of gives you this like gothic feeling. Like it's almost like she's like at a campfire telling you a ghost story, you know? Yeah. And, um, I also love the ending when she talks about their future together. You don't know if it's like a premonition or a dream sequence or what's uh, like what's actually happening in the future. You know when they're in the carriage and stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, with a baby carriage, I mean, um, it's like there's something so like I don't know again like mystical or like ghostly about it. Like it's because yeah. the way that she's like delivering the lines and the way that it's written, there's just. Like, I mean, I love that you call this me a ghost story. I mean, it definitely is because there's just, this is something so like spectral about it. Something so like spiritual mm-hmm. about it. Um, I think, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I mean, I could go on for this movie for a long time, but do you have any yeah. um, final thoughts on Phantom Thread? Well, I love what you're talking about there with the ending, that there yeah. could be something uh, very open-ended about it, very open for interpretation as to whether it is real yeah. or just a premonition. And however you look at it could also change the overall mood of the ending, whether it's a ha- quote-unquote happy ending of sorts or maybe a sense of tragedy to it too. In some ways it goes back to my comparison to David Fincher's Gone Girl because that's a movie that also ends in a rather similar way about maintaining a marriage <laughs> but in the most twisted ways and in the most self-aware twisted ways. Uh, And this movie kind of ends in a very similar way, whether that scenario at the end is true or not. It's more of a, it's more of a character admitting that in order to get to that point, we need to have this battle for dominance that involves one person deliberately taking control over the other in very sick ways, literally yeah. sick ways at times. It even ends with probably one of PTA's best final lines that he's ever written, where Reynolds says, I'm getting hungry, I think. I think that's what he says, if I'm paraphrasing there. Yeah, as if, yeah. As if to, I guess, allude to the fact that they are going to once again have this cycle that just reoccurs over and over again just to maintain the relationship. So it gets you thinking. If they are going to start a family and they are going to prolong this, is it the wisest of ways and the most romantic of ways to do it in the way that they're probably going to do it? So there's so many questions that you're left with, so many opinions you can be left with, and that's what makes a great PTA film. That's why I love this one so much. And uh, as far as my last final thought… Watching it again made me rethink my ranking of PTA's filmography. Um, Before going into this, I think I had it at number six out of his eight feature films. Um, But I'm going to bump that up. I really am. I still think The Master and There'll Be Blood are probably my top two. Um, Yeah. yeah. I I, I could put this one at number three at this point now. Um, The guy's never made a bad film. Um, The fact that my least favorite is Boogie Nights shows that the guy is doing something right. Uh, So it it just goes to show that his his work is always fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I... um, It's so hard for me to rank his movies because the minute I put, you know, something at number one, I'm like, yeah, but there's, like, seven other movies I could go there. Um, Yeah. And, like, especially... I mean, especially when, like... I I think for me, like... um, very Blood, The Master, Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, and this movie are just, like, the ones that mean... Like, the ones that I just find myself thinking about the most. And 
Phantom mm-hmm. Thread because it has that Hitchcockian, gothic, you know, very romantic, very sexual in a way. Like, um, it's not that Paul Thomas Anderson is a sexless director, but this movie is just like sexy in a way that like his other movies are really aren't. Sure. And um, like, I mean, the master is like anti-sex. <laughs> like, it's like almost like puts you off of ever thinking about sex ever again. But yeah, um, I think like this movie just is like so romantic and just like it's just so beautiful and it just like speaks to it just like speaks to my taste as a moviegoer in the ways that I really wasn't expecting and you know the more I watch it the more I can appreciate that like I think I even have put this in my top 10 like romance romantic comedies list um and that I was kind of every time I kind of bring that up to people there was like really phantom thread but it's like the more you watch it, the more you're just like, this guy is like having a joke at us. Like, yeah, it's it really so is. absurd. It, there yeah. was someone else that said that too. I forget an actress during an interview. Maybe, maybe it was on the Graham Norton show or James Corden or something. It may have been Anne Hathaway. I think. No, Anne yeah. Hathaway said that Gone Girl is her favorite romantic comedy. Oh, Gone Girl. Okay, and so it's an it's an iconic moment because this, the audience goes pin drop silence. Yeah, and it's but so I see funny. Her point. So I guess it's yeah, so goes yeah, back to yeah. My, I mean, like Gone Girl for sure is a romantic comedy, and I would love to talk about it on this podcast um, because, like, it's exactly what you're saying because that's still that's an element of like that push and pull, and it's just like, what are the compromises we have to make to make a relationship work? And right. um, and it, it, these two movies together take that to take it to the extreme in a way that I find very funny and absurd and weird and mm-hmm. I don't know, very very fun yeah Brendan thank you so so much yeah. um, where can people find you online tell us about your podcast which I love oh I appreciate that really do um, so our podcast In Session Film you can find at www.insessionfilm.com and we're basically like all of the few podcasts out there as far as films concerned we do uh we do we, we try to do main releases every weekend on the main show um but that's been hard with covid restricting all these new releases so yeah uh so we've been doing we, we do a lot of new release movies we try and couple that with a top three topic when we're not trying to cram a bunch of movies in at the end of the year and myself and my good friend jd duran host that show and we try to do our best with that we also have another side show that our good friends ryan mcquade and jay ledbetter host called extra film that is basically designed for uh, the smaller films, maybe some indies or classics that just don't have time for the main show. And you can find that all at InSessionFilm.com. You can find it on Twitter at InSessionFilm. And you can follow me directly at Brendan J. Cassidy. I'm always active there posting. What I try to what I try to say are non-controversial takes. I hate controversy. I hate hot takes. Uh, so yeah. I always try and keep things very diplomatic there. So if that sounds like it's up your alley, you can find me there. Yes, Brendan is a great follow. If you're not following him already, you should get on that. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at TheMinish89. Uh, also, the podcast at ApodToBeYou. Please remember to read, review, subscribe. Help people find this show. Thank you again so much for coming on. I had a great time talking about this movie. I'm so glad that we were able to chat about it and just go really hard on yeah. these themes uh, and stuff. So... And listeners, thanks for listening to our episode of Phantom Thread. Have a good day. Mm-hmm.